we are more jacked up than we could ever, you know, dare to admit, but we're also more loved than we could ever imagine. And both of those things are true at the same time. And that's where we should, where we should live. Welcome to another episode, and we've got an in-house episode today, so I'm with my main man, David Bloom. David, I'm excited for this, man. Hey, Alan. Me too. Yeah, we haven't you know, had a, a time to sit down and kind of unpack an episode for but just between the two of us for a while, so I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, I mean, which is really interesting because we're both content creators, and you preach regularly. Uh, I'm, I'm probably preaching... Once a month these days, you know, always creating new articles and ideas and thoughts. And so sometimes we kind of forget to flesh out some of our own thoughts here on the podcast. But we've had some incredible guests recently. I mean, it has just been a slew of amazing folks, great leaders, great practitioners. But today is one of those that is just something every leader needs to think about and deal with. Not like once, not like once a year. But we need to come back to, I'd say every few months, I kind of need to do an identity check. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, you're kind of going to guide us through this framework. So talk a little bit about why this topic of identity is so important and why we really need to be spending this episode on this really crucial topic. Yeah. I Well, one, I've been preaching a sermon series. We just finished it through Galatians. And this topic keeps coming up over and over and over again. But then the topics that we're talking about on the podcast, I feel like almost all, and people can push back on this if they want, but almost all of them stem from this idea. It's It all stems back to identity. Agreed. Of who we are. And 100%. Yeah. It's the thing below the thing of everything we're talking about. So we can't get very far away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I just kept kind of circling these ideas in my head and, um, you know, how do we attack the deeper issue? How do we get to the thing below the thing? And so that's what I wanted to talk about on this episode. And particularly, there's five categories of identity lies that we buy into that that I kind of took from Henry Nouwen. I don't know exactly where it's from. I think it's from a message that he gave. But it's five lies of identity. And we're going to go through those one by one. But here are the five to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. Five lies of identity are, I am what I have, which is prevalent in you know, a consumeristic culture like ours. Two, I am what I do, huge for leaders or entrepreneurs or business leaders. I am what others say or think about me, comparison, culture, social media. I am nothing more than my worst moment. Or lastly, I am nothing less than my best moment. And all of these are lies that either we're whispering to ourselves internally, um, this kind of internal dialogue, or others or culture or the world or, or Satan is, is whispering this into our ear to, um, to buy into these different lies about who we are. And I think it's, it's a discipline or a practice to root yourself in your true identity over and over and over again. Um, I know I need reminders all the time, or I start kind of going after things to define me that aren't true, and it never ends well. I don't know about you, but when I start moving towards um, these external things to define me, uh, it never ends well. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. 
this episode, that's where we're headed. Um, and the first lie that we want to unpack is I am what I have, which man, you can't go five seconds without, you know, an advertisement, um, telling you that you need something to be happy, to be fulfilled, to find satisfaction. A lot of our goals can be around achieving, you know, a certain level of financial security and success in order to have something, that dream house or that dream car or enough stuff to feel comfortable and secure. Um, It can be what gets our head off of the pillow in the morning is getting after certain things that we want. And it begins to define us and our identity becomes rooted in that. And so, Alan, where where do you see that in culture at large or maybe in your life or leaders' lives more specifically? Like you say, it's it's everywhere. And we could say the macro is consumerism. But really, we're not here on the podcast to talk macro. We want to apply it to your lives. Um, I've just been learning how the value and the discipline of simplicity mm. just roots me. Um, minimalism has been has really become a thing for me. Um, and to say that even when I buy a new shirt or a new pair of pants, I come home and I get rid of one. And it's a really simple practice for me. But to say I didn't need that new shirt, but I wanted it. Um, and and I need to want it enough that I'm going to get rid of something else. And so we just have a box in our garage that's going to the thrift store all the time. And I just find in a family of six, especially, how many times our lives can get crowded with things that we we really don't even love. Kind of the Marie Kondo idea. Does mm. it spark joy in us? Like, is it is it still something that deeply matters to us? And and I just find, man, we just need way less stuff than we actually think. And um. We had recently had Steve Cuss uh, over on our Facebook page. We do these things called the stream sessions. And he says, part of anxiety is things we think we need, but we don't actually need. So we have just a great anxiety about collecting more that we don't actually need. We don't even want it. We have that coat in the back of our closet that we haven't used in two years, but for whatever reason, we hang on to it. So that's been a huge discipline for me. It's just to get rid of stuff. And, and of course, it's not just the stuff. It's behind it, what kind of time, what kind of emotional energy we're putting into that. Um, but certainly, if we have more space uh, financially, we can be more generous. And I think as long as we are consuming uh, our own lives and our own stuff, um, surely Satan can take our eyes off of everyone else. So that's been a big one for me. Any practices for you that have been helpful on this one, David? Yeah, that those practices, same thing, but simplicity is a, a actual practice that undermines the tendency for us to find our identity in our stuff. And those are, that's, what's interesting is simplicity in and of itself is undermining that identity issue. And that's where we have to find practices or boundaries, um, in order to do that. Because the thing behind the thing is I need that thing to feel something. I need that thing to feel that adrenaline rush of having something new, something that I've been going after for a long time, something I've been saving for. And you just move from experience, consumeristic experience to consumeristic experience. And um, obviously that's not fulfilling. Obviously that it doesn't truly satisfy. And so, yeah, same thing where it's not just simplicity of you know, things in my life. Um, but simplicity of, you know, my time and my energy and trying to, to make sure that, you know, my whole life isn't just this scattered mess between things and stuff and appointments and things like that. Because I think you're right where, where we have anxiety is when we're pulled in all these different directions and our, our stuff, our junk 
is one of the main poles in our life that's pulling us, whether it's, you know, a simple thing like mortgage payments or um, car payments or anything like that. It, it breeds continual anxiety that begins to snowball and snowball and snowball. Um, so yeah, just simplicity. And for me, I'm, I'm learning that we had to, um, downgrade to a 660 square foot apartment, uh, kind of duplex cabin thing with a loft. I'm actually sitting up in the loft and we heat with a gas stove. So I'm baking up here. I mean, it's like 95 degrees up here and 60 degrees down there. Um, but we had to simplify. The podcast sauna. Yeah. And I just ran earlier. So this is like the worst decision of my life. Um, so we had to simplify uh, pretty immensely, but even then we simplified and got rid of so much stuff. We still have a storage unit and that I think eats away <laughs> my, my heart. And maybe it's a pride thing, but I'm like, man, why do we need to pay for a storage unit? Cause we can't fit all of our stuff in this little place. And so it's something that I'm consistently yeah. trying to, to think about and challenge myself with. Yep. And guys, we don't bring up these five things to say, cool, we got it. Again, David and I and our whole Stay Forth team, we are practitioners. We're in the trenches here. And I wanted to bring up kind of a shade of this that'll lead us into the second one. Um, really, experiences today are a huge deal. I mean, you go on Instagram and we are in the experience economy. Everybody wants to be somewhere. And I mean, you and I play into this probably, is that we're posting pictures of us hiking or mountain biking or doing something cool not for the reason that we want everyone else to know that we're cool um, or that we live in Colorado or, hey, check this out, but just these are things that we enjoy. But it so easily turns into, I want that, which is going to cost us time and energy and money and all those things uh, to to be able to travel and to get those experiences. And many times I find that the things, uh, I'm not huge on stuff, but the, the stuff that I deeply value can get me an experience. So it may be a mountain bike. It may be yeah. you know four too many backpacking backpacks that I need extra climbing gear. Those are kind of the things that REI and others have realized. This is this has a big pull on people's hearts because if you do more, then you will be more is kind of part of that. So it's interesting. I would actually say that the consumerism is not just a consumerism stuff, but of experiences. And uh, man, if you want to talk about envy today, I think we have experience envy. That person gets to do the coolest stuff, travel on the coolest trips, go to the coolest places, stay in the coolest places, whatever that is. We just have to be so careful. So I want to kind of bridge that into that second lie. I am what I do. Talk more about that. Yeah. And this is, I mean, for us as leaders, this is one that, I mean, I probably resonate with the most where your occupation, what you do, your accomplishments, um, what you're known for, that is what defines you. That's your badge of honor. That's what you lead with in your conversations. Like, and, and think about it. When you meet someone new, generally the first question is, so what do you do? What do you do? And they're mostly talking about what do you do for work, your career. Your work is what defines you. Um, and we see this all the way you know, back in the fall, that work was good before, um, before the fall, and then work becomes toil. And by the sweat of our brow, and it's painful, and it 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 feels more like bondage than what it was intended to, um, and that's what I think happens when we root ourselves in what we do, and that defines us. That becomes yeah. our fulfillment, satisfaction, and security. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, there was naming and cultivation happening in the garden as divine tasks that were you know, given to Adam, and then it shifts into toil. And I just say, it's so easy for a good thing to become a God thing, to, to become something that matters to us so deeply. And even the phrases we use, you know, hey man, you're killing it. And it's always the stuff that you're doing, you are accomplishing a ton. And that's a fine balance, right? Because it can so easily move from something that's incredibly healthy, even ministry. We all know that can very, very quickly become an idol. I know you who are listening and are entrepreneurs, it is so hard not to look at your worth or your value as what the net worth of your company is, or whether you're going to make payroll, or whether you're going to have to cut things, or whether you can grow and expand. That's kind of the entrepreneur space. It looks a little bit different in every single space, but we talk about being is so much more important than doing. And that's so easy to say, right, David? Oh, yeah, who you are matters more than what you do. But who do you have that reminds you of that, that just loves being around you because you're you? If all your meetings all week are business meetings, then you go home to your family or transactional meetings, you're going to get this idea that I am only what I bring to a situation. And what we say is straight from the heart of Ephesians 2.10, which is our really our theme verse for Stay Forth. It is workmanship first and then works is that first we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, but we also have good works to flow out of that. And what we say is whenever you flip that around and you want to do works so that we can be loved, it always gets weird. We have performance issues get in the way. We will do anything to find that next layer of impact. And I mean anything. And that's where I think a lot of issues spin out of control, David. I think burnout, uh, I think that moral issues, moral failures, um, things that we could, you know, sound egregious, we could never imagine ourselves doing, come from this place where we realize this is the ultimate game to do all of these things and to be known for that. Unfortunately, we'll stoop to any level. If we don't deal with our identity at the root of it, then the fruit becomes rotten really quickly. Yeah. And I think at the root, the, the deeper root too, and what I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of justification which sounds like a really, you know, Christian word, religious word, but this idea of justification that we're trying to justify our existence, prove that our life is worth it, prove that we have worth and that we have value. And we're proving it to ourselves. We're proving it to our peers and those around us. And we're also trying to prove it to God. And that's where, um, in Galatians, I've been preaching this sermon series, and that's kind of the the crux, the root, is where are you trying to justify yourself? In your own performance, or are you rooting yourself in the grace of God that he has justified you um, through what Christ has done on the cross? And that's so freeing, is when our justification is coming from our own performance, what other people think of us, and we'll get more into that, um, you know, our status, our our financial security, all of those kind of things, when that's what's justifying us, we're in bondage to those things. Those things become terrible masters of our lives that lead us, again, like you were saying, down all sorts of paths we never thought we would go. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and let me build that bridge now to the third one, because so much of what I do is because I care what others think of me, because I hope people will say good things about me, because I hope people will like me. And, um, you know, I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm a people pleaser. Well, of course. I mean, that's built into humanity to please other people. Nobody is wired to be a jerk. So we have to be really careful with this. But so quickly it ends in this, this third lie. I am what others say or think of me. Shed some light on that one. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, this one, again, in, in leadership, especially if you're in a place um, of where you have a platform or any kind of spotlight on you, this can absolutely lead you down a path of ruin where we are so fixated on what others think about us. Um, and that becomes our driving force is the approval, the applause, however you look at it. And unfortunately, this is why a lot of us can get into you know, positions where we're creating content, where we want people to, you know, read what we have to say or hear what we have to say, or, um, you know, we, they, we want people to consume what we put out there and it can quickly lead to an identity thing where we're obsessed with what people have to say, um, or think about us. And I think, again, this all kind of comes down to this, this justification thing where, we're trying to justify our existence, our, you know, our whole life based on other people's approval. And that gets us into some gnarly territory. And, and you can kind of trace back most of our issues and our sin to this idea. So like when I, when I lie, um, why am I lying? Is it because I'm, I'm crooked and all of those kind of things? Yeah, to a certain extent. But a deeper thing is well, I so value that person thinking a certain way about me that I'm willing to bend the truth or cover something up or omit a detail or uh, make something sound a little better than it actually was so that I can maintain a certain image in that person's mind. Now, if I rooted myself in the gospel of what God thinks about me, what God has already done for me, even while I was still in my sin, then I probably wouldn't be motivated as much by that person's you know, perception of me, which wouldn't lead me to lie like that. And all of these things that we, that we do, that we find ourselves going down that road, um, can often be traced back to where am I rooting my identity? Where am I rooting my identity? If I was rooting my identity in Christ, I wouldn't have lied like that. I wouldn't have felt the need to protect my self image at all costs to protect my self righteousness for someone else. And, I can trace back all sorts of areas in my life to that motivation of what others think of me. And let's call it what it is. I mean, it's an addiction to approval. And that makes its way out in in many different forms. I mean, I think that social media is aspiritual. I don't think it is deeply spiritual. And I don't think it is the worst thing in the world either. It's, It's how wise, how discerning we are with it. But if we enter life with this addiction of approval, if we enter the day that way, enter the week that way, we live from that well, then we are going to social media because we need to be needed. We want to be wanted. Uh, and I find that it hits me more when I'm tired, just that desire for other people's approval. Um, I can handle it more when I'm sharper or it's earlier in the day. But if I'm tired, if I have just spoken or if I've just led really hard that day, um, I find that I can go to social media I really hope somebody affirms me or says something nice about me there. So I just know that that's a warning signal for me when I'm really tired. I don't go to social media. I may need to go to the bed to take a nap. I mean, that may be that moment. I said it before, and I truly believe it. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap. When we're depleted, uh, not much of, of anything good happens. And uh, and I've just learned certainly not to go to social media for that. Man, we could go so much more on that, each one of these, we're just skimming the surface of. This could be its own episode, its own book, its own course, really, on all these. Um, but I want to bridge on to the next one. I am nothing more than my worst moment. 
man, that is a huge one, David. Talk about that. Yeah, and this, if you're in any sort of kind of field where you have a lot of risk, if you're starting something new, if you're listening and you're either a church planter or you're starting a new business, this is what can hold you back, is that fear of failure, um, that fear that it's not going to work out. And that is, you know, it's it's scary. I've been there. I've been there as a church planter. And that can hold us back from from living out the calling that God has for us. And this just goes back to what failure does to us internally. It, um, it can be crushing to us if, again, our identity is rooted in our performance, either our moral performance, our own self-righteousness, our accomplishments. So it has to go this certain way. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be crushed. The deeper thing behind that is you're rooted in the outcome of your life, how your life goes, your success, your performance, um, in whatever kind of thing that you're going after. And that fear of failure can prevent us from doing all sorts of things. And I think that fear just comes from wrapping our identity too closely around, around that, around our success. What about you, Alan? You've taken a lot of risks recently. Um, some things have panned out, some things haven't. Uh, how does that one hit you that lie? Yeah. Well, and first of all, you're going to take risks. Like you say, some are going to work, some aren't. I find after um, that thing either succeeds or fails, I know where my heart's at, is that I can think my heart's in the right place, but sometimes I can just laugh it off and go, yep, that didn't work. Or, you know, I saw that one happening differently in my head, or it can just, you know, kind of hit you to the bone and it shouldn't. And so that's, that's been really helpful for me to know that not all things are going to work out and not all things are supposed to work in this season and we need to move on from certain things. What's so helpful for me is actually think, am I working for my identity or am I working from it? And again, maybe sounds a little too spiritual here, but Jesus's baptism is he's baptized before his formal ministry begins. And he comes up out of the water. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done ministry at that point. And many times we try to do things to earn love, God's love or other people's love in our lives. And actually to realize we work from a place of already having it. We're already sons and daughters of the King, highly blessed, brought to the table, given access to anything um, that is God's in, in his household. And yet we act like we are outside. We act like we are orphans. We act like we don't have uh, a spiritual father in that sense. So that's been huge for me. And really to make it practical, I think there's two types of Things we see as my worst moment, I think there are there's public shame and private shame. Public shame might be everybody knows this kind of thing. Julie and I have a heart for um, those in prison and for prison reform, and we're talking about that a little bit on the podcast. Um, recently spent some time with the head of the Department of Corrections uh, here in Colorado, and we talked about that, is that people in prison are marked by a public shame of this is that moment and I was caught, and now everyone around me knows that. And it's a place full of people sort of thinking about their worst moment. But you'd be amazed at the hope that comes out of prison because so many of those men, when we visit the prison, they're not defined by that thing. They've chosen that, you know, to say, this is something that I did. It is not the summation of me. And then there's the private shame where we actually just kind of, we either think nobody knows this, so I'm going to hold it so deep inside. We end up creating the prison for ourselves and essentially punishing ourselves. So well, if you're listening to this, whether you are drowning in a public shame, everybody seems to know um, you failed, it didn't work out, people may be talking behind your back, or it's private, nobody else knows, but you know that you are drowning in that. 
guys, it is time to realize that your worst moment does not define you. So I know we're getting a little preachy today. That's okay. We both preach and we both lead and, and shepherd, but I want to make sure that we don't lose the opportunity to say that your worst moment does not define you. And um, and we'll just continue to talk around around that topic and that idea. We could go so far with with this, but David, let's flip that on its head. Is that fifth lie is I am nothing less than my best moment. So how are these two related? Both of them again are rooted in our performance, how others again how others see us, but but primarily our own view of ourselves. It could be this pity party, shame, a cycle of shame, or it could be pride that um, is muddying our view of who we really are. And that pride is really easy to fall into in seasons of success where you think you're just, again, where other people are telling you, you feel it, I'm killing it, right? We say things like that all the time. Um, and it, we kind of have that culture as leaders. We, we um, cultivate it amongst each other and within kind of how we speak as a culture of leaders in, in ministry world, in the business world, it is defining yourself by your best moment. And there's a deep pride that comes from that, that actually kind of puts you in bondage, so to speak, um, in your identity. And it's, it's really, really dangerous. And it's something that, you know, often we're shook from it because of number four, where we have a moment that kind of snaps us out of it. Um, but there's this beautiful kind of moment of, I wouldn't even say it's a spectrum, but it's, we have to free ourselves from either of that to being defined by our worst moment or our best moment. And we have to root ourselves into our proper understanding of, of who we are. And again, it all comes back to me. It all comes back to the gospel, which is this beautiful truth that we are more jacked up than we could ever, you know, dare to admit, but we're also more loved than we could ever imagine. And both of those things are true at the same time. And that's where we should, where we should live. Yeah. Uh, so much here. And if something hit a chord and struck a chord with one of those, would encourage you to listen to this again, send this to somebody else, have a conversation with it, bring in a few friends uh, to this, because this is not something that we we go over easily or lightly. Um, but again, this could be hours and hours to delve into each one. A couple of kind of high-level thoughts um, on this one, accomplishment, that driving and striving I see everywhere within our culture to create that moment, to succeed, to arrive. Guys, it is never enough. You are never satisfied if the identity is not whole and we are not satisfied. And what's interesting is uh, a guy named David White says this. He says, the opposite of burned out is not well-rested, it is wholehearted. The opposite of burned out is not well-rested, it's wholehearted. So when we talk about rest, we don't think, oh, you can sleep yourself into being okay. No, it's an identity issue. And what I found over and over and over again is that broken identity leads to broken schedules. If you feel like there's a gap in your energy or your time or your schedules, um, you don't know why you're pushing and you know working an extra five hours whenever you can or working 75 hours a week and just saying, I have to do more all the time. Um, yes, it may be a season and that may be the excuse, but it also is probably a crack in our identity. And that's what's been true in my own life is to say there's something that I don't want to deal with here and it's easier to work. It's easier to accomplish. It's easier to get somebody else's thought or opinion on this. And uh, just a reminder that guys, we work from an identity 
of being God's kids, not for an identity. We're already his kids. We have workmanship, and then we get invited into work. And if you feel like you are in a shaky place, our hope in this podcast, our hope in our coaching, our hope in every single thing that we do, I mean, even our journal, to sit down 10 minutes every single morning is proactively say, I've been given this one life. I want to steward it. I don't have to perform. I don't have to compete. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose. And yet God has invited me into this space of influence. We as leaders forget that more than anybody because other people think that they need us all the time. And then I go home and suddenly five humans desperately need me here in our home, four kids and, and my wife who uh, you know, have places to go and, and things to do. And I can get to the end of the week and think, oh, I am so needed. I'm so crucial and actually forget um, that God is the source, the identity of, of all that. So David, any last thoughts before I leave folks with questions? I have a question. Um, if you're struggling with trying to figure out kind of maybe what lie you're, you're believing, you can often trace things back to an idol in your life that has captured your heart. And so here's a question um, to help you identify maybe where you're struggling with your identity. Ask yourself this question. What's the one thing in my life that I have to have to be satisfied? What's the one thing in my life that I have to have to be satisfied, to feel fulfillment? And that could be what you have, what you do, what other people think about you, your you know, worst moment has to be wiped clean or you have to have this kind of, you know, grandiose moment in your life for you to be satisfied and fulfilled. What's the one thing in your life that you think you have to have to feel satisfaction and fulfillment? If you can answer that question, you can trace it back to one of those five lies of your identity. A couple more questions to leave you with. Are you saying yes to others so that you don't disappoint them? Are you simply saying yes to others because you cannot handle disappointing them? That will always lead us toward being stretched and overextended. Next one, do others' reactions of your performance have an inordinate effect on you? Do others' reactions of your performance have an inordinate effect on you that maybe blows it out of proportion if one person is not satisfied? And the last one, is there a moment, good or bad, that is defining you? Is there a moment, good or bad, that is defining you in your whole life? I just want to remind you of some beautiful truths. You are not simply what you have. You are not simply what you do. You are not simply what others say or think of you. You are so much more than your worst moment. And you are not just simply the best thing that you've ever done or accomplished or been known for or been recognized for. Guys, as always, we want to have heart-level conversations here. If something in this podcast stuck out to you, please deal with it. Don't just go on to your next meeting, your next podcast. We want to continue to shoot at this idea of identity because we don't want you to just not burn out. We want you to lead and live as wholehearted beings, kids of the King, sons and daughters, deeply and dearly loved by God. We love you guys so much. We are so encouraged by the stories of life change and transformation we're hearing from coaching, from those in our Right Side Up community, those who use our journals, and those who listen along to the podcast. Thank you guys so much for investing here in your leadership, because we do believe it's possible to lead healthy for the long haul without losing your soul.
Hustle.